With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome, everyone. This is View from the Rafters. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome in one of the pillars of this organization. Everybody forgets that part. Okay. Oh, good one. Good Don't one. go there. Not yet. What will we talk about in our podcast? You haven't told him? Like he had just come off the battlefield or I something. know what a dream it is to work with him. Half our listeners probably don't even know what that is. Always going to bleed green, baby. Welcome to View from the Rafters. Behind the scenes with the Boston Celtics, presented by Cardless. Here are your hosts. Mark D'Amico, and Sean Grandy. Welcome, everyone, into an episode that I've been excited about personally, Sean, for more than a year since we started talking about this back during the first season of View from the Rafters behind the scenes with the Boston Celtics. Before we jump into it, I just want to remind everyone to please rate, subscribe, and download. Thank you for listening. Uh, But, Sean, I've been excited about this forever. Uh, It's a really cool angle and story that really no one has ever talked about, and that is being a cult hero for the Boston Celtics. I know you're much closer to that status than I am, but I really wanted to talk to some people who have gone through and experienced what it's like to be that guy who doesn't play more than 10 minutes a game, doesn't average more than four or five points a game, yet for some reason, every fan of the Boston Celtics is a rabid fan of that that person and that player. We've got a long list of those types of guys, Aaron Baines, Yabusele, Jerebko, Steamsma, Eddie House. I mean, the list goes on and on. And we've got three of them coming on this episode today and Brian Scalabrini, Taco Fall, and Gigi Detome. Why do you think this happens in Boston? Like, why do people attach themselves to these players who are kind of obscure and don't even really make that much of an impact on the team on the court on a daily basis? Well, first of all, you are the cult hero. <laughs> I am the rock star. That is the voice of the Celtics. I've long since blown past that kind of status. I guess Colt here, you got kind of got to be on the sideline. I see what you're saying. I I think the reason you were excited about the episode and the reason that makes this so interesting, and it's funny because you have Kevin Garnett Day and the number goes to the Raptors. You have these iconic players that have played here, but it's far more of an insight into the fans, to the players that they love beyond all-world championship ability. And this has to do with 
connections. And there are cities, we've seen them in the NBA, where fans come to games, but they are not connected to their franchise. They are not connected to the players that came here. And we have seen players come here. Al Horford comes to mind right away. Players who wanted to be in that environment, who hadn't previously because they saw something. I I told this story many times, but the Celtics lost the playoff series to the Hawks in 2016, but they gained Al Horford out of that. By the, the fans did. Facts. By the way they saluted the Celtics at the end of game six, Al was looking over his shoulder, so- soaking that in as the Hawks went on to the next round. And when he was looking for a place to go next year, he and his dad were like, that's mm-hmm. where you need to play. That's where you need to be. And these individuals that we're going to talk to and some of the others that you and I will talk about afterwards, I, I really think it's far more of an insight into the fan of the Boston Celtics. Yeah. And it's what's really interesting to me and we'll we'll hear this and discuss it um, as we go through this podcast episode. But what's so interesting to me is that, I mean, Horford would say, even though he's a guy who's been a multiple, multiple time all-star with the Celtics, multiple, multiple time all-star throughout his career. But these other guys who have, they've played in Boston, but in Gigi Dutome's situation, he's played all over the world. Um, you've got these other guys, Taco Fall and, and Brian Scalabrini, who have also played in multiple locations in the NBA, in college, etc. Nowhere else have any of them been recognized and connected to the city the way that they did in Boston. It's just it kind of blows my mind. that It's like every year there's a player that the fans choose that are that guy. I don't even know who that player would be this season. Probably Robert Williams, even though he's an all-star level player now, but he came in as the Time Lord. Everyone attached to him before he was playing big time minutes. But uh, that, that's the most interesting thing to me, that all of these players feel this attachment right back to the fan base and to the city that they just didn't experience anywhere else in their career. Well, it has to do with something that you know, I've talked about over the years, which is Boston as a city for free agent players, for different athletes, it's one of those things that it is an acquired taste. From afar, I know there are a lot of players that look at it like Boston. Why would I want to go to Boston? And then the ones that have been here say, uh, oftentimes, it was the best experience mm-hmm. they ever had. Yep, it is. And uh, I, I saw it. I, it just made me remember, and this is more of a, a story about why Boston is different. But I remember uh, back in 2010 during the NBA Finals, the Lakers flew a bunch of their staff into Boston to take in the game. And some of those staff members were actually interns. Um, and they were up on the, the top level of the arena looking down and, and watching just before the game started uh, for, I can't remember what game it was in Boston, probably game three or game four, whatever that first one was in Boston. And they were looking at each other like, this place is crazy. Like, <laughs> this is not the same as it is in LA. And it isn't. I mean, this this what we're talking about today and the connection between the players and the fan base in the city is different than you get anywhere else in the NBA. Uh, and that's why we wanted to talk about these guys. So as I said, we've got Brian Scalabrini, we've got Taco Fall, and we've got Gigi Dottome. But first up, we've got the man, the myth, the legend. He is Brian Scalabrini. Let's jump right into the conversation. Oh, Scalabrini, Capelli Rosa, Biramon. This is Brian Scalabrini, and that's the chant that all of the Italians were chanting when you were over there during the lockout. Brian, you were a cult hero in both Italy and in Boston. Uh, At least that's the term that I would use when you get everyone amped up for when you check into the game. But what's it like uh, to be that player 
that all of the fans just fall in love with, regardless of what your role is on the team? Yeah, you, you'd be surprised. Like, when I was a sophomore in high school, I started out on the JV team, and eventually I got called up to varsity, and we'd blow a team out, and the coach would put me in, and the crowd would go nuts, even when I was in high school. So I don't know. Like, think, think about I was I ended up being the best player to ever come in – like from that high school and, but it was like a thing. It's always been a thing that followed me around. It wasn't like that in co- in college. Cause I played like every minute right from the start, but in with the Nets, it was like that with the Celtics, with the bulls. And then um, w- when I was with in Treviso, I think the biggest thing, and I would advise like every player who ever has to go through this, like I wish I would have embraced it more mm-hmm. um, when I was in the NBA, like, especially in Boston, I really, and it wasn't like, I, it wasn't about my selfishness of saying, oh, I deserve to be respected. I, I didn't care about that. I always felt like, you know, like the guys who built a 20-point lead, like they should get the attention um, and we, we should be cheering them, not cheering me that comes in at the end of the game, right? But when I went to Chicago and when I was in Italy, I fully embraced all of it. And it was much better. I was a much happier person embracing all that than trying to fight it. Well, so do you think since it's followed you basically since high school is what you're saying, do you think that this is like a personality thing? Like your personality just so happens to connect that way with fan bases? Like, no, is think, that why you think this comes about? No, I mean, if, I think if people see me, they don't think I look like an NBA basketball player. Okay. Or I look like, even like as a high school kid, you know, with my big size 17 feet, I'm six foot three and like I'm long and lanky. I got thin, small shoulders, you know, like. You just don't look at me and say, wow, what a, what a, that guy's just going to like, you know, like oozing with talent. Right. So I think, you know, when you look at there, it's like, oh yeah, even our worst player is scoring on you, you know, but they don't like, people don't realize like the stuff that I do outside of, you know, the, the games that they go to. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, um, yeah, I think it's because I, I look like an underdog. I, I look like a guy that can't play. I look like whatever, whatever. You want to, you know, go down that road. And I'm not, I'm not oblivious to it. I get it. Like I go against dudes that look like Greek gods and I, I'll play them all the time. But it's just, it's one of those things where it is what it is. But uh, I think that fans, like they want to make that, well, like, how is he doing this? He's a normal guy. If I got the chance, I would be that too. And I want to root for that type <laughs> if of If I was 6'7", 250 yeah, <laughs> and could exactly. shoot from the outside. Correct. Yeah, those are, you know, not all of us have that, have that, uh, those special abilities. Hey, but in Boston, it seems like it happens like more often than anywhere else in the country. I know you just said that it happened in Chicago and over in Italy as well, but I feel like it happens almost every single year in Boston. There's someone that everyone just latches onto and loves, like True. Yabusele out of nowhere. We're talking to Taco on this episode. Gigi Datome, he was only here for a few months, randomly came out of nowhere and wound up on the team and shot 47% from three. But why do you think that this is the case in Boston in particular? This is the market that you know the best. So well, why do you I, think it happens here? Um, so one, I, I think you, I think it always like, coincides with a really good team. Like, can you imagine the taco mania? If he was on our team this year, I'd be blow everybody out. Like it would be insane because <laughs> there was a time when the 08, 07, 08 Celtics would, I mean, we would just like destroying teams. Right. Yeah. So I would play the last six, six, eight minutes. And it was a big thing, you know? So I think you have to be on a good team. Like if you're on a bad team and that's happening, it doesn't it, like, it doesn't play as well. So I was fortunate. Think about it. I got drafted by the Nets and we're on, I'm going to the NBA finals my first two years. So it kind of like grew from there. I go to the Celtics the two years before Garnett got there. It was none of that stuff. Like mm-hmm. they were like, 
I was playing awful and our team sucked and, and, you know, I was getting booed and stuff like that. But the following year, you're a good team. You know, you're, you're putting your heart and soul into this. And that's, I think, I think that cult heroes and stuff like that, like are attached to teams that like the fans really love and connect with. And like, it's this a year, prerequisite for the team to that. be really good. I don't know good. who that guy is this year, but the fans are really starting to connect with this team. And in the past, like the fans obviously connected with our 08 team. Gigi yeah. told me people love that team because that team was like a bunch of underdogs. So I think mm-hmm. you have to have that type of connection for this to happen. Yeah, Grandy and I were actually just talking about that, of who is that guy on this team. I threw out Rob Williams' name, and obviously wow. he's he, – well, he's a starter now, right? Sure. But But everyone has been in love with, like, the Time Lord aura since he got to Boston. Now he's just happened to develop into this player this year. But I don't know who else it would be. Does anyone else come to mind for you? For this team? No, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Um, I think at the beginning of the year, it was a little bit of like Peyton Pritchard, but they like Peyton Pritchard can hoop, and and like we were all more scratching our heads, like why is he not in the rotation mm-hmm. versus let's get Peyton Pritchard in the game and see him play at the end. So there's been a little bit of roster turnover. So there was a moment there when uh, Ennis Freedom changed his name that he kind of like jumped on yeah, board. Yeah, people really liked him, but no, like this team right now doesn't have. You know, a guy like that. I think probably, if you would think about it, people love Neesmith because he's just like flying all over the place, throwing his body. <laughs> I thought he was going to die the other night in Toronto. He's just like falling on his head about five yeah. times. And it's so funny. Dudes from Toronto were looking at him like, man, you're tripping, man. Like, chill out, you know? So Neesmith has a little bit of that characteristic as well. So maybe, you know, it might be him. Like, and it, by the way, it could take a life of its own through the playoffs. And, you know, another thing was, there were times this year that he may have put in the backups at the end of games and they like were awful. I mean, like, mm-hmm. kind of embarrassing. Yeah. Right? Now he may have a big lead being smart or Tatum or Brown on the floor with them. So, you know, there's a, it's just, we don't have that connection at this point, but who knows these last couple games, who knows like what happens in the playoffs. You never know how this thing is going to unfold, but there should have been, Think about all the times the Celtics have blown teams out the last 30 games. There should have been somebody that has emerged as, you know, sort of a a crowd favorite. I don't think we've got the crowd favorite thing yet, but I do see every time the ball touches Sam Hauser's hands when when he's when he catches it, everyone stands up and is like, "Okay, this is going in. It's like Duncan. Uh, Duncan ball out, out in Miami. Every time he touches the ball, you think it's going in. Uh, but you just mentioned that like it changed with that 2008 team uh, that won the championship for you in particular. Do you remember like a specific moment where you were like, what is going on right now? No, I mean, like I said, I've, I've been through all that before. So I just, I was just like, um, I didn't want like I said, I think it was a mistake on my part, to be honest with you. Like, if I could relive, I don't have a lot of regrets, but there's a few things. And I know this sounds like, like insignificant, but man, like, I really wish I would have embraced that whole thing. I should have embraced that whole thing. I should have went in there. And instead of playing, quote unquote, I'm like, uh, using air quotes right now, like team basketball, I mean, I should have went out there and got a bucket, you know? Like, <laughs> in Chicago, that's what I did. In Chicago, I, I was like, not full on selfish, you know, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to give these people what they want. So I, in my mind, I was like, I got to make sure if the people want a bucket, I got to give them a bucket, you know, and my teammates <laughs> wanted me to get a bucket. I got to get them a bucket. Right. But I, it's just, it's just a mentality, you know, and 
you know, as you get older, you realize certain things. Like I just should have embraced that so much more than I did. And I would have enjoyed my time so much more. And I used to like chirp on the bench in Chicago with Tibbs. I'm like, you know, Tibbs kept looking at that car to his, look down the bench. He looked at the score. I'm like, I know what you're doing, dude. You're doing the math right now. Like you could have put me in in the start of the fourth quarter and I wasn't going to lose this game, you idiot. Right. No, like that's my guy. But, but uh, I'd be on the bench like, Hey, you better give the people what they want. You want a job extension. You want a contract extension. You put me in, you know, like I would do that with him. I would have never done that with doc, even though, if I did, Doc would have been cool with it. You know, like Doc would have been like, yeah, go ahead, Scout. He would have loved and if it. I messed up, he would have let me know about it, you know. But I just – I was just so different, you know, after my time with the Celtics. I was so comfortable with who I was and my life and my career and everything like that. And I really – like I said, I really embraced it after that. And I think I would have embraced it in 2010, but we didn't blow anybody out. Like, yeah, it was all close. Yeah. Was like, I would just go through the motions during the regular season, so it was hard for me to get any time. How do you think that all of this impacted your career now? Because I feel like it, it's all connected. Yeah, I mean, for, for, yeah. for you to, to want to come back here, for NBC Sports Boston to want to bring you back, it has a lot to do with how much the fan base did love you, right? Yeah. I mean, but I did a lot of stuff. Like, I did a lot of, like, man on, man on the street. Like, yeah. I, I, I worked harder. Before I got that opportunity, I did a lot of stuff before that. Yeah. chance, right? But then um, – you know, but if I sucked on TV, I like no matter how much the fans love me, I was that wasn't yeah. gonna happen. And okay. I try not like I feel like during the bubble, um, with the team really struggling, at times I, I maybe I came across as a little bit arrogant. Like I, I kept saying our team is not very good, and people did not want to hear that. They just mm-hmm. didn't want to hear that. And I kept saying that the team is gonna take some time, like to to like it's not easy to be the guy. Like it's hard, man. I've seen it before, I've seen players grow into that. And like people didn't want to hear that either. So they thought I was arrogant. So I thought like like that year my reputation sort of took a hit. But you know, I just the only thing I can do is just be honest, right? Yeah. So if I wasn't doing all those things, I'm not sure if I was uh, you know, faking it or not being authentic to who I was, I'm not sure that people would eventually would like me or not like me. But I don't think it has anything to do with, you know, I, I think it's a part of it, but I don't think it has to do but we love Scal at the end of games. We're going to love him on TV. Right. Like, and as you know, in this business, like you, you got to be good. You got to be authentic. You can't be a, you can't be a, I use the word poser, right? You can't do that. Not in this game, like not in this market. Yeah. I think authentic is, is the perfect word to use there. Cause every, everyone that we're talking to on this episode, they were just authentic to who they are, are right? Like taco used to walk around with a smile on his face, yeah. no matter what, right? Yeah. Like if, if he's getting mauled by 50 people while he's trying to grab groceries, like whatever, he doesn't care. Smile on his face. Same thing with Gigi Detome. Yeah. Uh, one I last question. One thing, and I, and I tell this to everybody, like one thing that I think is really amazing about Boston, like I've been at other places, even like the Nets team, which we like, um, we weren't as like popular as a team, like Boston Celtics and the Celtic in the New England area is like, they're so connected. Right. Yeah. But I tell you, I've never met like an over, this is a 30,000 foot view of the people out here. Like they fully understand the situation. Like if, mm-hmm. if I'm with my kids and I'm like rushing to get somewhere and I'm like, listen, man, I'm really sorry. I don't have time for this right now. I got my kids. I, I have yet to, I have yet to come across someone's like, man, I can't believe you would do that to me. Like everyone out here, which they, they love us, but they treat us like we're normal. You know, yeah. a lot of times I'm walking down the street of Boston and people are like, Hey, Scal, 
love the way we're playing right now. Let's keep it up. And they just keep it moving. Like, yeah. like I'm, they look at me like I'm one of their buddies, you know what yeah. I mean? And I, I mean, I've, I've witnessed that firsthand with you at games. Like, yeah, it's amazing. It, I, at West End Johnny's. A hundred percent. It's one of the things that I love about this area and the, my connection with the fans is I feel like they're so understanding of private time, uh, you know, and, and by the way, at games, I'll take all the selfies I can. If, I'm not yep. my kids. if I got nowhere to go, then I'll do it all day long. And I just, I just, I love that about this area. I don't think anybody out here takes it personal. And, you know, and when I'm doing selfies, I'll look up at the clock. Hey guys, it's, it's, it's uh six 58 on the clock at seven Oh one. I have to go. I'm really mm-hmm. sorry. So I'll tell people, Hey, at seven Oh one, I got to go yep. do the selfies. And then seven Oh one, I got to go. And no one's upset. You know, like everyone has a lot of understanding out here. Well, that plays into my last question that I want to ask you is just what is your favorite like fan interaction story that you can recall and tell us right now in Boston? My fan interaction. It's so that's funny. Like people ask me stuff like that. And people also ask me stuff about um, like, what was your favorite moment when you played? Right. And there's like, you could, you could pull this and you can pull that. And I, yeah. and I could make up stuff and whatever, but I'm telling you, like I'm, I'm friends with a lot of season ticket holders, you know, like I, I come up to them. I talk to them. I ask them how they're doing. I, I walk around to me. It's like the relationship that I built with the fans. Yeah. Just like my teammates, I remember hanging the banner and doing the championship game and being in the game. I remember those things, but more than anything, I remember the plane rides, the bus rides, the locker rooms, the weight rooms, the silly things that we did. The arm wrestling. The arm wrestling story. Yeah. <laughs> like I remember like those things. And I, and I like, those things are the most memorable moments to me. I think my interactions and my relationship that I built with fans is the thing that I'm most memorable of, you know, Hey, um, you know, I there's a fan that goes to the Celtic game. I met him at a Celtic game. Our kids now are on the same AAU team. He's like one of my coaches for our AAU team. We talk that's like wild. four or five times a week. You know what I mean? Like that's how a lot of my relationships have grown. And that's just one of many, right? I'm just bringing that one up. Yeah. So I think when people when people remember your fan interaction, my fan interaction immediately goes to the people who I built relationships with. There's a guy who sits courtside. I go to his house every Thanksgiving. We eat, we eat our Thanksgiving here. We go to his house. We have dessert. My family, their family, we, we chop it up. I go downstairs. We play ping pong together. I might not see him for another year, but I'll see him on Thanksgiving. <laughs> on Thanksgiving. That. That, is the, that is my relationship with the fans of Boston. Who wins the ping pong match? Uh, I always win like game one and then he takes over. He's, and, well, I mean, he's got a ping pong table in his house. So yeah, that, that all yeah, makes he, sense. He, he's... He, he, he's elite. You know how they, you know, like where I'm over here. Like, <laughs> you're, you're just trying, yeah, you're trying to dink it around. Backhands and forehands, he's doing the slice shots. And I'm over here just like hitting them back, right? So I always win game one and then I, I, I'll always lose. But when you ask me about my interaction with fans, that's my interaction with fans. I, like I said, I have my, my, my times that you've been in Weston Johnny's with me. And, you know, like, uh, like I remember, how about Mike Rotundi? with the beer and he almost got hit by the ball. He, 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 he puts the beer up in the air. The crowd gives him a standing ovation. Like those are the things that I remember about the fans. No, love it. There's, I mean, they've, they've got a lot of good stories about you. You've got a lot of great stories about them. That's what it's all about of being a cult hero in Boston and Scal, you, I, I would say that you're at the top of, of the ladder in terms of cult heroes in Boston. It's only grown um, during your time here as the, the color commentator for NBC sports, Boston. 
So that's what Scal had to say about being a cult hero here in Boston. Now it's time to hear what Taco Fall's experience was all about. Here he is, Taco Fall. Well, we've had some unique love affairs in Boston with particular players. Um, fans just latch on to them and want to be around them and cheer for them and fall in love with them. And one of those players is with us right now, Taco Fall. We appreciate you coming on, man. Long time no see. How is life? Life is good. Um, just enjoying enjoying the process and, uh, you know, just work, working hard and uh, making things happen. Life is always good with him. When have you seen him when he's not smiling? <laughs> this is a happy dude. We could all learn a thing. We could all learn something from Taco, man. Just be happy. Yeah, for sure. Hey, and it's it's been that way since the day you arrived in Boston uh, just a few years ago, Taco. And I think that's one of the big reasons why the fan base fell in love with you. Like from day one, before you ever put on a jersey, before you walk, ever walked onto a court, they just fell in love with you. And it feels like they love like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart a lot, but the love for, for guys like you and Brian Scalabrini, um, and we're going to talk to Gigi Detome on this episode as well. It's like a different type of love. How would you characterize the love that you felt from the Boston fan base when you were here? Um, it was very special um, for me. I mean, it, it, meant, it meant a lot to me just because one, Boston was my first destination as a professional basketball player. And to get that, you know, kind of love from your first team just is something that you're never going to forget. And for me, it's like Boston is a place where I can always call home regardless of whatever team I may play for. I mean, Boston, I, I feel like we always have a special, special place in my heart. And we rewind to Summer League. Man, I'm, I'm so happy I was out there for Summer League to just see how the crowd embrace you from the very first time you took the court we had people wearing actual taco outfits out in the crowd out in out in vegas which just blew my mind that was awesome we had maria maria menunos was in town strictly to watch you play and she had t-shirts made it said that said let's talk about it so everyone was coming in to see you and that love affair started right away what was that experience like uh, from remembering back to the 2019 summer league uh it was overwhelming at first because um, I kind of did not expect, I mean, I, I saw it coming because it, it kind of started from, uh, you know, like the tournament and then it kind of, you know, started to pick up a little bit. And then once I got to Boston, it just went to another level. Um, but, but for me, it's like, I was at a point where I was, you know, trying to fight to make the team. And at the same time, you had all those people coming to cheer for you and, you know, I, I I don't think back then I was I had even made the team yet. I was still, you know, on the uh, training camp Ross or whatever, uh, you know, trying to make the team. And um, it, it it was it was a lot. I was really trying to focus on like you know I need to do what I need to do I need to you know do my job. But at the same time, it's like you you see all those people around coming to cheer you on um it, it was it was overwhelming but it made me feel very very grateful how did the rest of the room that locker room react to the reaction <laughs> to you because it seemed like not only was it for you and that you enjoyed it the special relationship it's almost like your teammates enjoyed it even more those guys actually you know, like when you when you throw uh, oil at fire, that's what they were trying to do. They, they, like, they would actually try to encourage that. Like when whenever we'd be out in public, 
um, in the games. I'm like, guys, like just <laughs> just relax. <laughs> especially, especially like um, Grant. Grant will do it a lot. Um, I remember Ennis would try the same. JT and JV as well. It's like um, those those guys were, you know, they 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 actually. I feel like they liked it more than I did. <laughs> to be honest, because for for me, I was you know I was still like kind of quiet, just trying to focus on the game and you know not not try not to be distracted. But then you have you know those guys just you know try to just it was kind of like a um, like a game to them to be to be honest. Well, here's the crazy part is that even Brad Stevens got in on that game, and I know you've yeah, seen yeah. the video that I tweeted out of you checking in and. It's got 9 million views, like 37,000 retweets, 173,000 likes. Everyone around the world loved that video of Brad Stevens getting the crowd to get jacked up and then calling on you and you run down and take your your warm-up shirt off with a big smile on your face. What was that moment like? Take us into to that exact moment um, that night at TD Garden. Um, yeah, you're right. Because Brad did, um, did play into it a little bit. I mean, that's... Um... Well, one one the the atmosphere in the arena was just just insane. That's probably one of the loudest arenas that I've that I've ever been in. Just you hear all the cheers, and you know Brad just trying to trying to tease. First, he looked <laughs> he he looked at me first, and I thought he was gonna call me in. Then he looked back onto the court, like he knew I was gonna come in. But he he was trying. I don't know what he was trying to do. But then finally he. He asked me to stand up, and then you see JT come and grab me and just, um, you know, push me towards the, uh, the, the 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 court. It was it was special. Like it's it's those memories that you, um, as a player, you just never forget, especially as a rookie. You know, to to get that kind of love mm-hmm. from the from the team that you play for. And like I said, I was I still had my foot on the door, um, trying to make it, and um, to to get that kind of love was was very. Uh, very, very special, and that's something I'm forever gonna be gonna be grateful for. And then there's there's also always been this this line that you know I'm like, yes, I, I really appreciate it, but at the same time, I didn't want to just be looked at as a oh, taco the fan favorite. I was there to mm-hmm. I was there to to do my, to do a job. You know, I was there to help Boston win games, and those guys really believed in me and believed in my potential, and I didn't want you know, all of that to overshadow what I was really there to do. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't just in Boston because I was Taco the fan favorite. I was also in Boston because of the potential that I have and because those guys believe in me and um, invested in me. So there was always that fine line where I'm like, okay, like this is, this is cool and I'm really grateful for it and I will be always appreciative of it. But at the same time, I need to focus on my job and do it in the best of my capability. It's interesting you'd put it that way because you're smiling now telling these stories. I guarantee you everyone listening is smiling, thinking back to them. I've traveled with Shaq. I've traveled with Kevin Garnett. You wouldn't remember this. We were on an elevator once. It was in New York. It was an early season game. And I remember being on the elevator with you and other people get on the elevator in the hotel. And I got for 15 seconds what I can only imagine your life is like all the time, which is people stopping and staring at whatever. And I can tell you, I mean, Mark will testify to this. I don't have a temper to deal with people on a a regular day for anything. And yet this is every minute of your life. And one of the most admirable things about it to me was the constant smile 
and your acceptance, uh, almost understanding that this is a moment for other people and that, you know, you were willing to give up those like, uh, you know, personal moments to share them with the fans. And I, I, there had to be a moment, there had to be one where you're like, Oh, just, just not today. (laughs) I mean, everybody has those days, but, uh, I, at the same time, it's, I, I just, I don't know. For some reason, I just have a lot of patience, uh, especially when it, when it comes to people. And I I just feel like, you know, that's just how, how I was raised. Uh, you know, when, when especially when someone comes up to me, I don't know how to respond in, in a native way. You know, if someone wants to come and interact with me, unless I'm at the airport and I have to catch, you know, when I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to go catch my flight. Like, I can't stay here and take pictures and I'll be late. But if I don't have anything to do for the most part of it, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Cause I, I, I get it, you know, in your wildest dreams. And this is what I was thinking about today because my son is 10 now and he was seven or eight when you were here. And I saw the look in his eyes. I saw looks in kids eyes that you were around. Did you ever in your wildest dreams imagine that one day kids would meet you for five minutes or five seconds or 10 minutes or whatever. And they would remember that moment and smile about it for the rest of their lives. No one time, no one time. And like like I say, just thinking back, um, you know, on those moments, even to this day, like just, just yesterday we played in Chicago and um, you know, to this day, you still kind of get that, that same reaction, regardless of what arena I go to. I mean, obviously it's very, much heightened in Boston, you know, because that's that's where I've started. But then you go to other arenas, um, you know, around the league, and you get the same interactions. You just sit back and think, like, really, what have I done to deserve, you know, this kind of attention? And it's truly a blessing and something that I will be very, very grateful for my whole life. So, Taco, with all of this attention – I would imagine it happens every single day, right? No matter where you go, if it's the grocery store or to put gas in your car or you're walking in the airport like you just talked about, these moments happen all the time. What is the most unique interaction that you ever had with a fan like out in the street in Boston? Well, there's been a lot. I mean, it's just, you have, obviously you get the the questions, uh, you get some weird questions. You ask people to, you know, you have people asking you to autograph, you know, other like autograph my head, like autograph my head. <laughs> autograph my head? Because That's they, happened? They don't have any, like, they don't have something for you to sign. So they <laughs> they just they just improvise at the moment because they're like, oh, I might not see him again, so let me just try it. And, um, yeah, but the... I, you said weird questions. What are the weird questions that um, you've been asked? You know, things about my height, like... Um, People asking me about my bed, how I fit into things. Um, you know, those, those kind of questions just related to my height. And uh, some of those questions really, yeah, do get weird. <laughs> I can only imagine. I'm glad I don't have to field those. But that's really part of what makes you special to, to Sean's point is that you're always willing to give that time. And Brad, one of the things that Brad Stevens always used to talk about was that you had this unique ability to compartmentalize like that part of your life and still be able to work your butt off every single day on the practice court 
and then when you leave, be able to be that smiling face for the fans all the time. How were you able to do that? Like, how did how did you break those two areas apart and be able to handle all of that attention, but then also be able to work so hard on your game to be a part of the Celtics on a, on a consistent basis? Yeah, I mean, just having tunnel vision, like I like I said earlier, um, I, like it's just. I was very appreciative of you know all 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 of that that came with it, but at the same time, I I had a goal in mind that you know I was fighting for, and you know I had a plan like this is what I need to do, and that's really what I was focused on, regardless of what was going on around me. Um, I was focused on getting better, um, seizing the opportunity that I had, and um, you know try to find ways to help us um, in any way that I could, whether it was playing or not playing um, because there's way more that comes into the game than just, you know, playing on the court, especially as a rookie, you have to find ways to contribute, um, you know, when, while you're not playing. And I was constantly thinking about those things. And while I, while I step on the court, all those were the things that only mattered. And um, it's, it's just, I was just focused on that, like how to get better and how to, you know, help, help this team. For all the people you've made happy, uh, this is what I was thinking about today. What is going to make you happy when you're done with basketball or basketball is done with you and that day comes? You've continued to put in the work. You're playing in the G League. You're up and down with Cleveland the same way it was in Boston. Everyone has talked about how hard you've worked. What is it you want to accomplish for yourself in this game, for getting the cheers, for getting the Brad Stevens moves, for getting your teammates? What is it you want to accomplish for you? I want to be the best player Taco Fall can be, and I know that you know my my ceiling is really high. I just need to stick to it. Um, I want to definitely have a, you know, a very consistent role in the NBA. Where, like you said, I'm not up and down. Where I'm 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 stable. I'm on the team, and I can help you know the team win games and eventually win a win a championship. Because that's that's everyone's goal. Um, for me, it would have been great if I was able to stay in Boston and help Boston win the championship just because of, you know, everything Boston meant for me. But as far as my career goes, um, regardless of, you know, where it may be, I want to be able to have a consistent role in the NBA because um, I I believe in my capabilities and what I can accomplish. Um, It's just about seizing the right opportunity at the right time and uh, keep working. And when that time comes, just never look back and uh, just ride, ride that wave. Um, and have a you know long and healthy career in the NBA. Taco, I don't want to speak for Sean, but I'm pretty sure we both believe in you too. Uh, and so we're wishing you the best. One last question before I let you go. Um, for the next Taco Fall that comes through the Boston Celtics organization and, and grabs this type of attention from the fan base and the fan base loves falls in love with that player from day one, what would your advice be to be able to handle that type of attention um, while still still putting in the work from day one as well, I would say just embrace it. Don't don't fight it, and um, you know don't don't let it overwhelm you too much. Because it's at the end of the day, it's all it's all love. All these people are just cheering cheer you on and want to see you succeed. So that's that's all it is. But at the same time, don't let that distract you from what you are really there to do. You know, um, regardless of you know how much how. You know, the interaction that you're going to get, go out there and focus on your job and do what you need to do. And like I said, just just embrace it and, and don't fight it. All right, Taco Fall, we appreciate you taking the time, man. It was so good to see you. 
I know the fan base is going to be all revved up to hear this. So uh, thanks again for coming on and wishing you the best of luck moving forward. Thank you. We'll be right back right after this commercial break with former Celtic Gigi Datoma. Today's episode is presented by the Boston Celtics credit card powered by Cardless. You'll be eligible to earn a special sign-up bonus when you apply and are approved at cardless.com slash Celtics. Then redeem your points for cash back, game tickets, merch, and much more. Card issued by First Electronic Bank, member FDIC. Offers subject to credit approval. Visit cardless.com forward slash Celtics for more information. That's cardless.com forward slash Celtics. All right, Gigi Datome, haven't seen you in a long time, man. It's so good to see your face. We loved having you here in Boston. How is life and everything going on uh, back in Milan, right? Yes, in Milan. Thanks, Mark. It's a pleasure. It's a familiar face that I see remembering those beautiful uh, months, not even years. Uh, but um, I'm glad. I'm glad that I'm here to speak with you guys. And thanks for um, having me on board. Well, you know, the interesting thing to me is that, you know, you pointed it out there. It was only months that you were here in Boston, yet for some reason, the fan base fell in love with you. And this isn't just something that's happened with you. There's been players who have come through throughout the course of time when the fan base just gravitated toward those people for one reason or another. We had Taco Fall on uh, at the beginning of this podcast. Crowd fell in love with him. Now we've got you. But what is your recollection of, of what your experience was with the fan base here in Boston um, that, that kind of you remember about your interactions with them? Uh, I think uh, the answer is because um, I was uh, like a, a strange object that came to Boston uh, all of a sudden. Maybe nobody expected me to be there, uh, especially the fans, maybe. Uh, but for me, it was an incredible opportunity. You know, I was coming from Detroit. Uh, I didn't have any playtime that season. So, and I was really happy to be a Celtic. I mean, as coming from uh, Europe overseas, that, that arena is something that really that you dream of. So I was there and I tried to make the best of the opportunity that I had. For sure, I have to thank a lot uh, uh, Coach Brett Stevens that gave me the opportunity, but also not only the teammates, everybody in the organization welcomed me that I was the last, the least important player in the team, but they welcomed me like really I was there forever. And the fans, of course, they showed me a lot of love in the streets, in Boston, at the arena. They were chanting my name. Uh, as you said, it was a few weeks, months. Uh, we didn't do anything incredible. Okay, we reached the playoff. But I think the team had a soul. And uh, I was, you know, one random object in the team that uh, gave some uh, fun to the fans. So, of course, everybody had good memories of those, uh, of those days. And for those uh, of our fans who are listening right now who might not remember seven years ago, it was at the trade deadline uh, when Danny Ainge pulled off a three-team trade uh, and you came to Boston with, let me, I hopefully, hopefully I get this right, but Tayshawn Prince, Jonas Jurebko, and Isaiah Thomas was a part of that trade as well. So that yes. was a pretty big deal. Yes, Prince went to Detroit. I, I don't remember IT if you got traded for anybody, but yes, me. Jonas Jerebko and yep. IT, we went together to in, in Boston in the last 10 minutes yep. of the trade deadline. Yeah, it was it was a pretty incredible trade. It brought great joy to the Celtics for years to come. Uh, but let's concentrate a little bit more on your experience here. You just talked about the crowd chanting your name. Um, and just, you know, for anyone who doesn't know the numbers, I mean, you weren't playing major minutes for this team. But when you got out there, 
you were shooting lights out 47% from three point range during your regular season time with the Celtics. You might not even remember no, that. I see I, your face. I only remember it was better percentage that we, that Larry Bird. So I stick with that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so you can always I say that, like, right? 5, you shot better from three than 5, Larry Bird. Shot less, but who matter? What does it but what do you when you talked about the crowd chanting your name? Um, what was that moment like when you first heard the TD Garden crowd in Boston playing for the Celtics, wearing that uniform with the banners up above, and you've got eighteen, nineteen thousand Bostonians cheering your name? No, I was as I said, I was coming from really tough month because I was only basically working out by myself uh, in, in Detroit, mm -hmm. and um, you know sometimes I. I took a second to breathe and remember I went um, towards the finals in 2010. I had one of the last seats up over. And uh, so to be there in, on the court uh, and having the fans singing my name, it was incredible. It was one, one more time. I didn't do anything important in for Boston or for uh, the NBA history. But for me, that moment is still special and still I have goosebumps if I remember those moments. So it was a very nice moment in my life, very happy moment in my life. And finally, I felt like an NBA player because when you play minutes and uh, mm -hmm. the fans are happy about you, it means that you are an NBA player. And you've played in you've played all over the world, right? Um, you, you right now you play for Milan. Um, you played for the Pistons and the Celtics in, in America, and you've traveled the world playing basketball. How unique was that experience? with this fan base and your kind of really quick, immediate connection with them. Um, how unique was that compared to what you've experienced around the world? Uh, I had, after the Boston Celtics experience, I, I played five years in Istanbul for Fenerbahce. Uh, that fan base also, it's, uh, it's incredible. Uh, I would say that in Europe, we are more passionate, maybe too much. You mm -hmm. can see also bad things happen. Uh, sometimes they throw uh, stuff on the court. That's something that in NBA will never happen. Uh, but somehow I like it because it's, it shows a lot of passion and emotions. Uh, and NBA, mm -hmm. the fans, um, especially in the playoffs, they were very noisy, um, very passionate as well, but more polite. I think in NBA, the, the game is uh, enjoyed more. It's like an, uh, an event, uh, an atmosphere where really you can bring your family and kids and, and enjoy the, the show. Uh, in Europe, mm -hmm. not every game. Some game, maybe the kids is better that they stay home because something... <laughs> uh, not good can, can happen on the court but you know it's part of the history and the tradition of the leagues and of the countries and um, there's a little bit of uh, nice in the NBA atmosphere and uh, of course I love the, also the Turkish uh, atmosphere and I'm enjoying also here in Italy despite the COVID situation limited fans and so on and so on mm -hmm. that everybody knows that but every, everywhere is, is a, has a unique uh, atmosphere and you have to embrace it let's say when you rewind to your months here, uh, what are some of your favorite interactions that you had with fans? I know you always talk about the the Celtics fans were hitting you up on social media, uh, but what are your some of favorite interactions? Some of your favorite interactions, either from in person uh, when you saw some people maybe on the street in Boston or through social media. Oh, I remember one kid that texted me basically every day, "You're awesome, you're the best," and uh, of course I was not doing anything important, but um, I remember that I sent him a jersey, or no, I invited them to the game and I gave him one of my jersey. At the end of the season, they invite me home. It was a beautiful family with a lot of kids, and still uh, here and there we text with the, the, the kids that now are, I don't know, 15, 14. The mom is very sweet, and uh, that was um, another good memory, because, you know, when you have uh, the, pos the possibility to, to meet those people that come and cheer for you, uh, it 
it's uh, it's like getting more and more into the culture of the city and uh, of the mm-hmm. the place that you're living in. Also, if it was only a few months again, but uh, I like to embrace uh, fully the experience and um, also that is part of the experience. And I'll, also, this I remember with uh, great joy. During your few months here, how often did you go to the North End to grab oh, dinner <laughs> into Little Italy? I was uh, basically my day was to work out in the morning. And in the afternoon, I was spending my, my time in Boston because I wanted to, to know the city. Uh, and then maybe grabbing dinner or coming back at the hotel because I, I couldn't even find a place to stay because they, they were not renting more less than six months. So I stayed at the hotel um, the whole time. But North End, of course, was... Um, oh yes, was really like being in Italy. I, I remember when I stepped into the grocery to find some... Uh, uh, Italian um, staff to make some pasta in uh, another place. Uh, the TV was on with with the Italia TV program on, so really uh, it was uh, it was amazing. Looked like to be in Italy, and uh, also the Italian fans North End were maybe uh, because I'm Italian, of course, they were uh, showing showing me even more love. What did you think of the city as a whole while you were here? Uh, and what was your experience as a whole in the city of Boston? Oh, I liked it. It was, uh, I remember, very, very active, a lot of things to do. Uh, quite expensive coming from Detroit, but, you know. <laughs> That's not a lie right there. That's I, not I a lie. That, but, uh, you know, people uh, that were going out were... Um, Living the life, I see. Uh, people really enjoying to to go out, to you know have dinner. The the places were full. A lot of, I mean, I remember an active uh, city with a lot of students. Also, I remember when I was hanging mm-hmm. uh, around the Cambridge and was um, was good. I mean, it's not a such an incredible big city, especially compared to Istanbul, where after I lived. Uh, but he had a soul, and I think is maybe everybody say this, and I also. Uh, feel the same is maybe the city of the United States more similar to a European city. I I, I saw mm-hmm. a lot of England. I saw a lot of uh, uh, that kind of Europe. Yes. Well, it was built by Europeans at first, so that's probably why it feels a little bit that way. Especially the North End, for sure. Um, one last question before I let you go: If you were to ever interact um, with any of maybe your former teammates overseas um, who were maybe going to come and potentially be a part of the Boston Celtics, what would you tell them about what they should expect about the experience of being a member of the team and what they should expect from this Boston Celtics fan base? Oh, I think um, anybody that goes there in Boston works hard, uh, have a good work ethic and play hard, of course, and play also smart because Boston Celtics tradition to play hard and smart. Um, they they will for sure be loved by by the fans and of course winning games always help. Uh, but when you devote yourself <laughs> for the you know you put the Celtics in front of everything in front of your stats in front of your name, good things gonna happen and for sure uh, you have good um, chances to be loved by the fan base. Everything you just said, I think, is a common thread between all of the players that we're going to talk to on this podcast episode of why the fan base loved you guys so much. So, Gigi, you played your heart out while you were here. You shot the lights out better than Larry Bird. We'll say that. We'll make sure we say that again. Uh, So thank you for coming on, and we hope all is well with you. Um, And We hope to see you again sometime soon. I hope to come to see a game maybe in the finals when uh, my my, my season will finish earlier maybe hopefully one day I'll be back to be a fan uh, with all the fans 
All right, that's all three conversations. We just heard from Brian Scalabrini, Taco Fall, and Gigi Datome, who all went through similar yet different experiences here in Boston with becoming cult heroes, even though they weren't the players who were on the court scoring 20 points per game and, and driving the Celtics to success. Uh, but in those conversations, one common thread that we heard from all of them is that there's this balance for them as people and as professionals that like they don't want to be looked at as as a joke, right? It, it's not this fandom that's a joke. They're, they have to walk this line that, uh, okay, so it's okay to cheer me on even though I'm on the bench and when I get into the game every time I touch the ball, but I'm out here to play. I'm out here to be an NBA basketball player. I think it's so unique that these guys have that ability to to take in kind of both sides of that conversation, be able to walk that line. I don't, I don't know what you took from the conversations from that perspective, but that stood out to me. It requires a generosity of spirit to be able to play that role and a sublimation mm -hmm. of your ego, which almost by definition is what these guys have in common. By definition, you have them because you are fitting into a group to begin with. And what always struck me, I, I remember this as clear as it was yesterday, a conversation Scal and I had after a game when he was still playing uh, for the Celtics because we were in Charlotte. And the, the umbrella you have to remember is that the 450th player, the worst player in the NBA, is a million to one basketball player mm -hmm. in the world. A million to one basketball player. There are half a billion people more than that in the world. Only 450 are in the NBA. So George Carlin used to do a, a bit like somewhere in the world there has to be the worst doctor. And somebody has an appointment with him tomorrow, right? That's like the scary part. But yeah, by definition, there is the worst player in the NBA. There has to be. But this is still the worst player in the NBA is better than you ever dreamed you would be on your best day ever. And so you have to have a, you know, be comfortable with that knowledge, knowing you're in the NBA and you belong there. I thought there was a point that the Scalabrini stuff was getting a little bit derisive is the wrong word, but it was becoming a little, you know, a little bit almost mm -hmm. insulting. And Scal came on, we were in Charlotte, Scal played really well. So obviously, because he was post-game guest on radio. And I asked him point blank, because I don't know why I would be taking offense, it's overstating it, but I was almost like, this, this is too it much. Like you're making a joke out of head. a guy who's yeah. a 12, 10, 12 year NBA. Like it, Scal, by the way, didn't have a cup of coffee in the NBA. 10 years. Scal played double <laughs> seasons in the NBA. Okay, this is not the, like, he may have been a bench player, for a lot of that time, obviously he had the legendary playoff game player for the Nets in Detroit. But I remember asking him point blank about it. And he said, no, you know, he was he was cool with it. He understood at that point in his career, his role and all of that. And it made me kind of like realize, what are you doing, Randy, taking like offense in to these other people? This is a badge of of love that you just don't get, as we said, in other places. And even think about the other guys that people came attached to. IT immediately i've never seen it happen faster than it did with it and remember we think of the 2017 season that he had but isaiah was here for a year and a half mm -hmm. before that and he was obviously played well almost from the second he got here but he wasn't that dude until the mm -hmm. end until his last year here. and i've never seen anyone make a bigger impact in boston with the fans in a shorter amount of time than isaiah thomas did you have the walter mccarty one that's the name we hadn't mentioned yet who uh now tommy obviously walter. played a big part in that Walter, I love Walter, all that stuff. Uh, you know, I think those young guys, Delonte West, I think was a guy that fans sort of gravitated to that way. And you realize what these guys have in common is that they were hardworking players that didn't necessarily weren't the chosen ones 
going to the NBA and carved out their niche. And this city has always been mm -hmm. a blue collar, gutted out, work hard, lunch pail city. So everyone knows to win a championship, you need blue bloods. Now, what made Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, and Kevin Garnett special was that they were elite top 75 players of all time, but they also worked harder than everybody else, which is another reason Boston loved them and adopted them. To get to the next place the Celtics have to go, you're going to have to have a chosen one like Jason Tatum, who the basketball gods reached down when he was born and blessed him with these extraordinary gifts. And he's still going to work hard, but there's almost something about Boston that embraces the players that had to go the longer route, which is why isn't it interesting who the head coach is now? That's a that's when a great you talk point. about taking the taking the longer path to get there. You know, nobody grows up dreaming that they're going to go to two or three different colleges and community college and overseas for three years and in the G League to maybe get a call up for a ten day contract. That's not the dream. But those the guys that do that and then stick and then make it work. Those are the guys that I think you really have to have extra respect for. And I think there's nowhere more than Boston where that is appreciated. That's that to me is the common thread. And they all stay grounded. That's, that's really, it, I, I know that if I was in that city and you talked about this during, uh, during the taco conversation that you just wouldn't be able to deal with this with all of the attention and people coming up to take pictures constantly while you're trying to get your work done. I wouldn't, I know I wouldn't be able to do it and stay grounded and be able to consistently take that time for other people and their pleasure. Gigi described himself in, in talking about that with this really interesting term. And he, he described himself as a strange object that wound up in Boston in a random object that wound up in Boston. And I think that really actually probably applies to all of these guys, right? Like no one expected Taco Fall to wind up with the Boston Celtics after he went undrafted. Um, in 2019. No one expected Gigi Dutome to wind up in Boston um, in the trade that wound up bringing Isaiah Thomas to town. And no one really expected Brian Scalabrini to get the contract with Boston that he got in the first place. So I think that's also... Not even Rod Thorne. Now, I'll tell you a story. Not even Rod <laughs> Thorne, uh, who, who's told this story to us, and we've talked about it on the air over the years. But, you know, the Celtics offer for Scal, you guys can look it up because you on your Google machines, but I think it was in the area of about $3 million a year. It was close to mid-level money. It was a five-year mm -hmm. deal when Scal got it in 2005. And he walked into Rod Thorne's office, who was running the Nets at the time, and said, well, I've got this offer from Boston. And Rod Thorne looked at him and said, son, you need to take that. <laughs> so it was, you know, uh, I said, nobody expected him to get that offer to be a member of the Celtics, including a lot of people, including Rod Thorne and, uh, you know, other people in the league. But, you know, he he... He carved his niche. Yeah, obviously. no question about it. And I think that just being the random object, and I think that's on both sides of, of the coin, right? Like it's a random object to the fans. And then the Celtics are kind of a random object to these players who wind up here for some reason or another. And then it's a love affair that starts from day one. And, you know, he hasn't, he doesn't talk about it now. And obviously, listen, being on TV makes you an instant celebrity. But just doing the games with Scal this year, you know, Scal already was kind of a cult hero anyway, because, again, if I list... You know, Isaiah to some degree, Walter McCarty, Brian Scalabrini, Taco, Gigi. What are they, what's another thing they all have in common? They come across as approachable. Mm -hmm. They come across as a, as a dude. If you saw him at Chipotle. <laughs> and they probably would be at Chipotle. About going up. I can assure you, a safety tip, boys and girls. If you see Kevin Garnett on the street, don't do that. Don't do Take it. Take a picture it's from afar. But, 
Right, exactly. I mean, you might, who knows? You might, there was a day uh, we were in a hotel in New York playing an early game, uh, and then it was 2009. I don't know why I remember it, actually, because it was the day after the U.S. Air. We went to all see the U.S. airplane, which was in the Hudson River near where we were staying. And KG comes out of the hotel that morning to get on the bus, you know, late morning, probably a one o'clock game. And there was a kid outside the hotel. He stopped and signed an autograph. And he got on the bus, and I literally reached out. I said, who? I said, what, what was that? Who are you and what did you just do with Kevin Garnett? Because I didn't think I'd seen, you know, I think I've seen it all before. Now I truly have seen it all. But the nature, the effect on other people, we will never walk a mile mm-hmm. in their shoes. But I've done the closest thing you can do, which is, as I, I think I talked about the story, being in an elevator with Shaq, going down to the lobby of the hotel to go on the bus to go to the game. And the elevator door opens and because I'm standing next to Shaq, right, as I said, you have his not line of sight because you're you know a foot shorter, but you see the faces of the people. I got to clean again. This is one of these things I'll always take with me. The elevator door opens and I'm seeing a family with a, like a teenage daughter. And imagine the last thing in the world they're expecting is for an elevator door to open and there is Shaq on the other side of it. But because I'm staring that way, I get to see their faces. I get to see the faces that Shaq. And those guys see every single minute of every single day, wherever they are. And it is overwhelming, particularly when you're even, you know, Scal at six foot seven, six foot eight, Taco, mm-hmm. obviously, at his height. It's a different world with basketball guys. Listen, Mookie Betts was one of the best baseball players in the world when he was here, obviously still is. Mookie could get around town. And if he's wearing a hat or he's wearing a what, people are not going to pick him out. You can't be Kevin Garnett. You can't be Taco. You can't be Scal you lose a sense of that privacy. So you better have a, again, that generosity of spirit and lean into it, particularly in Boston, because being beloved as those guys are, it it comes, there's a sort of a responsibility that comes with it. Thank you for listening to View from the Raptors, behind the scenes with the Boston Celtics, presented by Cardless. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real Steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.